0: Thank you very much. So today we are continuing in our summer preaching series entitled Encountering Jesus. And it is my heart and desire that every person here today would encounter Jesus. You know, it's amazing, isn't it, hearing the stories of New Day, hearing about Hannah get healed, hearing about others that have encountered Jesus and the way that it is radically life-changing You know, one of my friends messaged me this week and said that um, one of his kids at New Day powerfully encountered Jesus in a way that they hadn't before, and literally her life was changed. It was like he messaged us so full of joy and excitement at what God is doing. And I want to believe, actually, that God wants to encounter you today, here this morning as well. You know, maybe you are a Christian today and you just need to meet with Jesus in a fresh way. Maybe you are here and you are dry and you're thirsty and you're longing to meet with Jesus. Maybe you are here and you're not a Christian today. Maybe you're here because you're asking some of the bigger questions in life. Maybe you're searching. And actually, I really want to believe that God will encounter you as well. Maybe you were just here because your Christian friends said, hey, why don't we go to the beach? Do you fancy coming to church as well? And you're like, okay, sure. And you're sat here thinking like, what am I doing here? I have no idea why I'm in a church service. And actually, even for you, I want to believe that Jesus wants to encounter you today. And over the previous weeks, we've looked at um, a couple of different women that met with Jesus in a powerful way. And on the first week, we heard the story about the Samaritan woman, sometimes referred to as the story of the woman at the well. And this was a woman who'd had many husbands, and due to her ethnicity, her gender, her life choices, actually typically a Jewish man at the time wouldn't have had anything to do with her. He would have rejected her. He would have stayed away from her. He would have considered her below himself. But actually, what we see from Jesus is the exact opposite. Where others put up walls, Jesus tears them down. And we see that Jesus engages with this woman and that he offers her what it is that her heart was truly searching for. Last week, we heard about the story of the woman caught in adultery. This was a woman who was dragged by the Pharisees and the religious leaders before Jesus because she'd committed adultery and they asked that she be stoned to death. And Jesus being Jesus, he stands up and he says, whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. And one by one, all the Pharisees walk away. And who is left? Jesus and this woman. Jesus, the only person who was without sin, the only one who could have picked up a stone and condemned her, And yet again, he does the exact opposite. Rather than condemning her, he welcomes her. Rather than shaming her, he shows her love and forgiveness and acceptance. And both of these women's lives were radically transformed because they encountered Jesus. And today I want to tell you the story of a man whose life was transformed as well. So if you've got your Bibles with you, if you could join with me in turning to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to read from verses 12 to 16. Okay. It says this, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. You know, leprosy, um, as it's known today as Hansen's disease, is one of the world's oldest and most reviled diseases. It's, um, there's evidence that it existed in India in 4000 BC. This is more than 6,000 years ago. The leprosy is a dreaded affliction which mutilates and causes horrible disfigurement and was believed to be highly contagious at the time. The name of those afflicted with the disease, lepers is associated with social outcasts, the unclean, those who must be shunned from society and disowned by their ashamed relatives. It carries such a stigma that it was known as the living death. It's victims given funeral services to declare them dead so that their relatives were allowed to claim their inheritance. So you were legally dead if you were a leper. So if you had leprosy, you were as good as dead to your friends, your family, your community. And leprosy is a disease with a long history of misery. The University of Cambridge social anthropologist Gilbert Lewis put it, In medieval times, sufferers were banished to leper colonies, condemned to wander the roads wearing a sign or ringing bells to warn healthy people of their approach. In the modern era, leper colonies were set up on islands which became known as islands of death, from which lepers often never returned. Leprosy sufferers often have patches of their skin which become dry and pale, maybe even lumpy, and they lose feeling in their extremities, so in their fingers, their toes... Their, their noses, and this is due to nerve damage that occurs to the skin, the muscles, and the bones. And as a result, these extremities, due to trauma, will often fall off, and you'll see people without any fingers, noses, ears, they can become severely disfigured. The Greek word, for, um, le- the Greek word lepra, which is where we get the term leprosy from, means scaly, so you are Scaly. I just want you to imagine for your moment in your mind this man before he encounters Jesus. Just picture him for a moment. He's sat outside the town. He's an outcast. He's viewed as dirty and unclean. Maybe he's missing his fingers, his toes. Maybe his face is completely disfigured. And what is it that you think of when you look at this man? Now, I bet many of us don't look at him and think, this man has got something to teach us. But actually, I really believe today that he does. And I believe that what we can learn from this man is humility. This man was by definition humble. When he saw Jesus, it says that he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. In 2 Chronicles 7, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. You know, we live in a society today that does does value humility to some extent doesn't it you know i think that we are impressed by impressive people who are humble and modest you know maybe uh, an incredible sports person or a leader in business you know we love the kind of rags to riches story i mean we don't like it when that person's really arrogant and boastful about their achievements do they we don't want to be made to feel like we couldn't do what they've done you know but actually we do like it when that person is modest. They're not, they don't have a sense of self-importance because of what they've done. But I don't think that we show the same level of value for somebody who is unimpressive, who has not achieved anything. You know, somebody who is in real need. And what I mean here is the poor, the marginalized, the lepers We aren't as impressed by these people. And actually, we've seen this attitude towards the poor and the marginalised, even in our own city, in recent years. You'll remember about four years ago that Bournemouth Council hit the headlines for installing anti-rough sleeping guards on park benches, and it was only removed after a huge outcry from the public. Now, this isn't the first time that our city has come under fire for how it has treated the poor and the marginalised, did you know that historically, the authorities gave one-way train tickets to 144 rough sleepers in our town in the hope that they would be removed? Um, it was also reported that in 2015, the authorities played Alvin and the Chipmunks soundtrack at the Bournemouth coach station in an order to drive out rough and homeless sleepers. And it was to my shock, and I didn't realize this until I was preparing this message, that it is actually illegal in our country to be homeless and to sleep rough. And you can, and people are prosecuted for it every single year. And essentially, you know, the message that we are portraying with this, the message we're portraying is, here's your train ticket, get out. We don't want to see you. We don't want you to be a part of our society. We want you to go somewhere else. But I want to get a little bit more personal here because it's very easy for me and for you to sit here and to look at the authorities or look at the council or somebody else and be kind of judgmental and go, well, I wouldn't do that. That would be somebody else. And actually, I want to share a story from, um, from my own life where I know that actually I have been guilty of this when I've judged somebody that I shouldn't have judged. And, um, and God really personally convicted me of this. So about 10 years ago, I was the manager of a high street bank in Boscombe. And uh, I think I'd been in the job like three weeks, and three weeks into my job, there was this national outage. So everything stopped working. Online banking, we couldn't view the accounts, the debit cards didn't work. The only way you could draw money out of your account was to come into the branch. And this impacted, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, and I think it lasted about a week. And this lady came in, and she had withdrawn some money, I think, the last couple of days, some smaller amounts. And she was from a drug and rehabilitation background. And she just wanted to, you know, pay some bills. And she came in and said, can I take out £100? Now, I don't know what it was at the time, but I, I, I just, I, I know in my heart that I judged her. And I didn't really think that she was good for the money. I didn't trust her word. And I said, no, you can't have the withdrawal. And, you know, as expected, you know, we, she, we had a back and forth and she kind of questioned me on this. But what I, what I really didn't expect was that she, she really directly, personally challenged me. And she looked me in the eye and she said, I think that you could help me if you wanted to, but you are choosing not to. And I remember going, oh, like, she's right. She was absolutely right. And I felt convicted and I thought, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, okay, you're right. And I helped her, and I gave her the money out. And, I, you know, I did, feel, I did feel a sense of conviction that moment. But what really brought it home for me, when I felt a real, a real rebuke from the Lord, was that um, so in our previous church in Bournemouth, I was leading our Alpha course, and our Alpha course is for people that um, want to explore Christianity, people that don't know Jesus. And I was on the door, and I was welcoming people, and guess who walks in the door? It was this woman. And I was like, oh, Lord, forgive me. And I, you know, I apologised to her, and and made amends, and I, I did. I, I just thought, like, man, have I have I been Jesus to that woman? Absolutely not. And I could I could tell you this story in a different way. I could tell you that I was being responsible. I was doing my job well. I could kind of pretty it up and say I was doing the right thing. But I know in my heart I wasn't. And I th- and and I'm sure that uh, everybody here can share a story of something similar. Um, and do you know what, what's what's sad. What, sad and both joyous about that story is about two or three years later that lady died and before she died she radically encountered jesus herself gave her life to christ and i remember when i heard that she had died i remember thinking like isn't it so amazing that god's love and grace far outweighs my judgmentalness and my sinfulness like what if it was what if it was the other way around what if it was because of my judgmental attitude that she never got never got to know jesus i thought oh god you're so good And it it gives me great joy thinking that this morning that she's not poor in any sense of the word today. She's with Christ in his fullness, and she is rich in every possible way. So, why is she with Jesus today? Because Jesus does not treat the poor and humble like we do. In fact, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this story in Luke 1 is one of multiple stories of Jesus healing people and specifically healing leprosy. And I want, to, I want to share with you a contrasting story of, in the Bible. Somebody who didn't drop to their knees, didn't beg Jesus and ask him for his help. And this is a story that we read about in 2 Kings 5. And this is the story of Naaman. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king. He was an impressive man. He was a powerful man. He was the commander of the army. He would have been wealthy, powerful. The Bible even describes him as a valiant soldier. But we are told that Naaman has leprosy. Now, Naaman hears of a prophet of God called Elisha, and he's heard of the miracles that have been performed, and he wants to be healed. Of course he does. So he seeks out the prophet Elisha. And he goes to Elisha's house, and he sends two of his servants, and they knock on the door, and Elisha comes to the door, and Elisha says, "'Tell your master to go and bathe in the river Jordan seven times, and he will be healed.'" And so they go back to their master and they say, you know, go and bathe in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. But Naaman doesn't like this. Naaman is like, well, why doesn't he just come out, wave his hand over me and heal me, proclaim me healed. Or at least tell me to go and bathe in the rivers of Damascus. Now, I don't know much about the rivers of Damascus, but I'm assuming that they were far nicer than that of the river Jordan. But this is, this is too, Naaman is too good for this. This is too um, humiliating for him. And he walks away full of rage and doesn't do what he's been asked to do. And it is his humble servants who challenge him. And they say this to him. They say, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan several times as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Now, Naaman wanted to come to God on his own terms. He did not initially want to humble himself. He wanted God and all of his benefits, but he wanted it on his terms. And this is such a contrast to the leper that we read about in the Gospel of Luke, isn't it? We don't even know his name. He was not the commander of the army. He wasn't wealthy and powerful. He was lowly and modest. And yet, look how he responds to Jesus. The challenge to all of us is to humble ourselves and learn from the experience of the unnamed leper. And so my next point is, how is it that Jesus responds to the humble? Well, we see in verse 13, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. We see that Jesus embraces the humble. You know, the Greek verb for touch is heptome, which can also be translated as to take hold of. You know, this wasn't a brief touch. You know, Jesus didn't put on his mask. He didn't kind of anti-back his hands. He didn't kind of stand at a difference and sort of poke the guy out of fear of catching leprosy. He would have embraced him. He would have grabbed hold of him. Maybe even hugged this man. Now, Jesus didn't have to touch this man to heal him. Jesus could have waved his hand and said, be healed. Jesus could have just proclaimed it. He could have done any number of things, but he purposefully chose to reach out and to touch this man. You know, this man probably hadn't felt the touch of another human being for a very long time. You know, people were more used to walking away from him or physically keeping their distance. And yet we see that Jesus does the exact opposite. Jesus embraces the man. He brings him close and he shows him dignity, love, and care. He shows this man that he is valued to him. I just want you to cast your minds back, because I'm, I'm, none of us, I'm, I'm sure, can uh, understand the same level of isolation that this leper can. But I think we've all experienced something of isolation, haven't we, over the last couple of years? You know, so just imagine, COVID's hit, there's no vaccine, we're all in lockdown, schools are closed, work from home... Can't meet as a church, can't pray for each other, lay hands and pray for each other. You know, children couldn't play with their friends. Um, You know, this was a really tough time. And I know my kids in particular really hated it. They really hated the isolation. Um, They missed playing with their friends, going outside, coming to church. You know, it was a really isolating time. You know, and I remember when we were first allowed to sit in gardens. Remember that? You could have, like, was it so many people and so many metres away, but you still weren't allowed to touch them or go near them. And I remember my parents came over, and they sat in the garden, and it was great, it was so nice to see them and see them face to face. And Evie re- desperately wants to go and give them a hug, and it's like, no, you can't. And actually, she was so upset by it, she, she cried and she went inside and took herself away. She actually, it, was actually, it was actually better to be away from them rather than not being able to be with them fully. And even when we were allowed to hug, there was evidence and, you know, there was kind of strange ways that we were asked to do it, wasn't there? It's like you could side hug, don't get face-to-face. You know, the grandkids could kind of hug your leg and all this stuff. And uh, my sister came up with a very unusual way to give a hug um, during this time. And um, there should be a picture coming up. This is my sister, Rachel. And uh, so she has basically taken a shower screen, medical gloves, duct tape, and a good dousing of Dettol in order to try and give a COVID-safe hug. And um, whilst this image is quite funny and it's quite weird, um, it, just, it just captures, doesn't it, something of how desperate we are for human contact. You know, for some of us, six months, a year, two years was just too much, wasn't it? You know, and imagine the years, though, that this man has suffered in isolation. He didn't have a queue of growing family and friends desperate for that first hug. Nobody wanted to touch this man except for Jesus. So what happens when we encounter Jesus? He transforms lives. Suddenly, this man, his fingers grow back. The feeling returns to his face. The dead skin is made alive again. His mutilated face is restored. He was once hopeless and has had his hope restored. He was once unclean and he's now clean. This man who was basically a living zombie treated as many as though dead is now alive again. The Bible scholar Kent Hughes puts it this way, he says you can't overdraw the joy of this. It was like a resurrection. In fact, the rabbi said that to heal someone of leprosy was as difficult as a resurrection. It was like he was dead and is back to life. And this is a credible time of joy and celebration, isn't it? You know, I wonder what, what would be the first thing that you would do after such a life-changing event. You know, would you, maybe you'd throw a big party. You'd probably want to be with people, wouldn't you? Get the champagne out. Um, I'm sure that you'd want to give thanks to God and celebrate him for all that he's done. And so what is it that Jesus commands this man to do? Well, it says Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And in Leviticus 14, there is a ceremony to be performed for anybody who is healed of leprosy. And it's described as a cleansing ceremony. And it's about testifying to the fact that you have been made clean and validating the healing. And I'm just going to summarize it here, but you can read it fully in um, Leviticus 14. But on the first day, the priest would take two birds and he would kill the first bird and he would sprinkle the blood of the first bird on on the healed man, on the cleansed man, seven times. And he would let the other bird go free. And this was to show that through the blood, he had been made clean. And the other bird being set free is representative of the fact that we go free. We go without death or go without the suffering. And this would would have been done outside of the camp. So at the moment, this man still isn't within the people of God. He's still not in the community. He's outside of the community. And on the eighth day, the man, along with the priest, would make a guilt offering at the entrance to the tent of meeting where the presence of the Lord was. Now, up until this point, the man would not have been able to make atonement for his sin. He wouldn't have been able to worship God with the people of God. And so the priest would sacrifice a lamb. And what's interesting here is that the priest would take the blood of the lamb, and he would put blood on the lobe of the man's ear, or the person's ear. He'd put it on their, uh, on their thumb and on their big toe. And this was to symbolize that you were to listen to the voice of God, you were to do what God wanted you to do, and you were to go where God wanted you to go. And and they would do the same with the anointing oil. And it was to symbolize somebody who was to live a life that was fully dedicated to God. Okay, this man is now brought back into community, back in with the people of God. But more importantly, he's brought back close to the presence of God himself. Now, I've just summarized some of the key points of this ceremony, but this closely links to what Jesus did in that moment and what he achieved for us on the cross. Jesus himself being fully God in that moment, he radically heals this man, he draws him into relationship with himself, and he cleanses him, and he removes all sense of shame or of being unclean. In that moment, Jesus restores this man. The ceremony that Jesus asked this man to go and perform was also to ensure that the miracle is recognised as valid and that if the priest confirmed the healing, then the the healed person would be welcomed back into the community. You know, without the priest's confirmation, people might still be suspicious and go, Well, are you really healed? you know, if you did you do a did you do a lateral flow test on day ten and was it negative? You know. We want validation and proof. You know, as we approach the final part of this message today, I want to link back to my first point, And that is that if we want to come to Jesus, we need to humble ourselves. I asked you at the beginning, what do you think of when you look at the leper? And I wonder how many of you thought, I am the leper, that's me. Now physically, I doubt that anybody here today is suffering from leprosy. Um, but if you are in need of physical healing or healing in any sense, we would love to pray for you. We've heard testimony already that Jesus does heal, and I believe that he is keen to do so today. But my question is, are you a spiritual leper today? You know, in the society at the time, leprosy was also associated with sin. For various reasons people of the day believed that if you had leprosy it must be because you were a sinner that you were unclean that you had brought this disease upon yourself by your own sinful actions. Now obviously this wasn't the case but for this but for this and for other reasons there was so much shame associated with leprosy. And what the irony here is that what the people failed to see is that we are all spiritually lepers. The people judged the leper as being sinful. They saw themselves as somehow superior, somehow more holy, somehow more clean, but they are in just as much need of God's forgiveness and of cleansing as the leper. And the Bible says that we are dead in our sin, that we are the walking dead. But this does not mean that we are without hope and that the situation is hopeless, This story points us to the cross and it points us to what Jesus has done and what he has achieved for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, Jesus was not the spiritual leper. The Bible says that he had no sin. He was and is the son of God, God in the flesh coming down to heal and to restore and to save his creation. When Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. He became the spiritual leper, and we became clean. In John 1, Jesus is described as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, just see the link here to the sacrifice in Leviticus 14. Jesus is the one true Lamb, the one true Lamb whose blood was spilt for our forgiveness. You know, theologians call this the great exchange our sin, our shame, our uncleanness for his righteousness, his cleanness, his goodness. Jesus was clean. He had no shame, no sin. He was in perfect union with God the Father. And yet we see how often Jesus went away to pray with his Father. And why? Because he could. He wasn't separated from God because of his sin, he had no sin. He didn't need a priest to make a sacrifice on his behalf. But in the moment that Jesus died on the cross, he was separated from God the Father. He took our sin and our shame upon himself so that we could be made alive again, so that we could become clean. We're told that when Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, conquering sin and death and restoring us and himself into relationship with the community and with the Father. So how is it that we should respond to Jesus today? Well, like I said at the beginning, my desire is that every one of us today would encounter Jesus. And how are we to do that? By humbling ourselves and by throwing ourselves at his feet. You know, if you are here today and maybe there are things in your life that you feel hopeless to change. I mean, leprosy is hopeless, isn't it? Apart from the transforming work of Jesus. Certainly in that time anyway. Um, you know there are things in your life that you feel hopeless to change maybe you need physical healing or emotional healing or there are situations that you just need to bring to God then come to Jesus today you know I genuinely believe as I was preparing this and praying through this that that that, that Jesus's attitude is generally one of I am willing and I want to pray and believe that God will heal people and that he will transform and change lives today so don't put off coming to Jesus today You know, if you're here today and you feel a sense of shame, maybe you feel outcasted for some reason, you feel unclean because of your life and your mistakes and your actions, you've got it wrong and you're carrying the burden and the weight of your sin, then come to Jesus this morning who is longing to restore you into relationship with him again. And it is only Jesus who makes us clean. If you don't know Jesus today, let me tell you that he is longing for you to come to him. But there is a need of humility and repentance. We need to to throw ourselves to our knees and say, Lord, forgive me, save me. And I believe the response from Jesus is yes. 2 Corinthians 7, I'm just going to read that again. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land And Jesus says to you today, I am willing, but the question for you is, are you willing? Okay, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we do thank you for these incredible stories that we've been reading about over the last few weeks. The incredible ways that you have transformed lives. Lord, I thank you that you have transformed my life. Lord, I thank you that, you know, I was once dead. I was once a spiritual leper, dead in my sin. And Lord God, you have redeemed me. You have saved me. Not because of anything good that I have done, not because of anything that I have deserved, but because of your mercy. And Lord, I pray for, I pray for us all, Lord, Lord Jesus, help us to humbly throw ourselves again at your feet and ask you for help today. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for what you have done. And I thank you for the things that you are going to do and continue um, to do amongst us today. Amen.